You are listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. This podcast has been created to help you connect and achieve your destiny as a leader. For more information, visit our website at fcf.org. Leaders are important and uh, important to the body of Christ, important to the business community. And there has been a major gap of quality leaders over the last few years in numerous areas of uh, the church, business, and so on. And uh, John W. Gardner wrote this. He said, leaders have a significant role in creating the state of mind that is the society. They can serve as symbols of the moral unity of the society. They can express the values that hold the society together. Most important, they can conceive and articulate goals that lift people out of their petty preoccupations carry them above the conflicts that tear a society apart and unite them in pursuit of objectives worthy of their best efforts. And he said that in no easy victories. What is a leader? The key thought here is leadership is first being, then doing. It is first being, then doing. When we talk about leadership so much of the time, so many people just have a tendency to put it over into the vein of what you're doing, activity. But your activity comes out of who you are, your very being. In the book of Acts, it puts it this way, in him we live, move, and have our being. Now we have our being, and that's what causes our living and our moving. Okay? That determines how you live that determines your actions. So you have to understand that being precedes the other. And so whatever you've got inside of you, how many know you can't give away something you don't have? That's true of money. That's true of morals. That's true of counsel. That's true of guidance. I don't care what you talk about. You can't give something away you do not possess. So you have to start with that part of being. And uh, when I would look at... at, at, uh, leadership and was when I was studying it and and I continue to study it because it's so interesting uh, one of the things that helped me was when I was looking at definitions of a leader uh, I, I really got uh, amused there because last time I checked there were over 200 definitions of what a leader was well that right there tells you we don't know what it are you know I mean you scratch your head what is it you know well Uh, it's hard to define. And it's almost like you know it when you see it, but to articulate it, you know what I mean, to to clarify it, to qualify it, uh, can almost be frustrating at times because uh, there's so much that's there. Leadership revolves around vision, ideas, direction, and has more to do with inspiring people as to direction and goals than the daily implementation, the day-to-day stuff. Really what it boils down to is uh, dealing with the day-to-day things is management. Whereas a leader is involved with a vision, with ideas, with direction, uh, and inspiring people to do it. So leadership is first being, then doing. So the key thought here is leaders turn the dream or vision of a desired future state into reality 
with and through the cooperation of other people. That's one definition of leadership. Okay? Let me say it again. Leaders turn a dream or vision of a desired future state, of a desired future state, into reality, both with and through the cooperation of other people. In other words, leaders dream dreams and develop visions. They dream dreams. They develop visions. Years ago, when God spoke to me about starting Harrison House, you have to understand how I started and where I'm at and what I'm doing, is I am in the ministry of helps. I always have been. I always will be. My job is to help people fulfill their call, their vision. And uh, I had started out by helping my pastor in my home church. I went to Minnesota's music and youth director of a church. I actually became like an associate pastor. From there, I went with Brother Hagen to help him. I was his platform man. Uh, my wife and I started the office. I started putting out his books and tapes and uh, basically just about everything they're doing today we helped initiate or set up at that time. While I was with him I started training Kenneth Copeland's people. Uh, I started John Osteen in publishing his stuff. And uh, then God dealt with me about starting Harrison House of uh, being a help to others. It was a dream. It was a vision. And uh, what I had found in the publishing of books was that many ministries had great things to get out, but they couldn't get it to the world. And then on top of that, if they did something with a, a, a publisher in the industry, they couldn't make any money off of it other than just royalties. And I wanted to bless those ministries and let them get the financial benefit that I felt like they deserved. And people would tell me, it can't be done, you can't do that. But because of the dream and the vision, we get more money into ministries nowadays than any other publishing company around. Simply because that was our vision, that was our dream, that was our goal. And uh, now, I know some people, that you know, they don't think that much of it, but I have found the more money you can get in, in men's ministries, the greater work they can do. And so if we can do that, well then, in my mind, we've done the will of God. You know, for my satisfaction of how I understand and perceive where God has me and placed me in the body. And so I sit around and dream of ideas and ways of doing things. I remember how even a few years later, after I'd started Harrison House and went through all the trials, and there was three major crises in Harrison House through the years. This is our 20th year. And uh, one through embezzlement, one through just lousy management. Another time I had a situation just a few years ago with a bank who was trying to bury me. I mean, he had the gall to sit there and tell me, he said, I don't care if you lose everything you got. All I care about is my money. And he didn't have that much in it. And I had, I had 17 years in it, plus money. And, uh, you know, I mean, it had value to me. It didn't have any value to him. And right then you think your, your dream's going to die. You think the vision is over with. But I can remember a little over three years ago, Keith and I standing at the parking lot to a bank downtown, and I told Keith, I said, if he pulls the plug and messes us up, we go down the drain. We're starting over tomorrow. Mark it down. That's all there is to it. See, leaders have to dream dreams and have visions. And they have to think of ways to pull it off. I remember when the Lord dealt with me to, to start Honor Books as a division of Harrison House. Now, it's a separate company now. has been for three years because it needed money for its own growth. But I remember I had people who worked for me who said I'd departed from the faith. 
you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't putting out Word of Faith books. Well, all I was doing was putting out scriptures. In my mind, that's Word of Faith. I mean, you can't get any more pure than that. I ain't got no man's tainted opinion on it at all. You know, but perception, you know what I mean? If I hadn't had the dream, then honor wouldn't be doing what it's doing today. Hey, if I hadn't had the people to pull it off, you know what I mean? The people who believed in it, but I had to be a leader and lead them into it because without that, it would not exist. See, everybody has their place. It's learning to get in your place and function. Now, leadership uh, has to work at all levels. See, some people say leadership has to be at the top. No, it starts there. It finishes down here. See, And it has to be all the way through the ranks. So you need to understand that leaders dream dreams and develop visions. They direct organizational changes that build confidence. And they empower their employees to seek new ways of doing things. The problem with many people is they wind up in a rut. Okay? And you know what a rut is. That's a grave with both ends that's been kicked out of it. Okay? And they just stay in that rut. They also, they overcome resistance to change by creating visions of the future that evoke confidence in and mastery of new organizational practices. How many know people resist change? You know, we, we love our comfort zones. I mean, hey, I, I do too. I mean, there's, there's certain things I don't want changed. You know, don't be moving around my favorite chair at the house. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we have things that we don't want changed. Okay? But how many know change can be healthy? And you have to understand this. When you quit changing, you quit growing. In too many instances, they're synonymous. Growth and change are synonymous. The leader sees the dream, the vision, the purpose, the big picture, and effectively sells it to others. If I hadn't been able to sell, if I hadn't been able to find another bank to believe in what I was doing and how I was doing it, that other bank would have killed me three years ago. I'd be dead in the water right now. But I found some people that believed in me. Bless God, we're blowing and going. Had the number one book in the nation for five months. Glory to God. You don't think that don't make heads turn. God does it. Glory to his name. Leadership gives the organization its vision and its ability to translate that vision into reality. To where it comes out of the idea realm into the working realm. To where it will function. That's what a leader does, okay? Leaders empower others to translate intention into reality and sustain it. Not just start it, but keep it going. I mean, know a lot of things start, but that don't mean they finish. It takes a leader to take it to the finish. Leaders get their followers on the right path and convince their followers that they will overcome any obstacle that obstructs their path. I think Thomas Edison was one of the best here at illustrating that. He had a number of scientists doing research in his lab for him. They'd run this one experiment 
and they'd run it over 2,000 times. I don't remember the exact number, but it was, you know, way on up there. And some of his scientists came to him and said, Mr. Edison, there's just no way we're unable to find. He said, we've run over 2,000 and something, ex you know, experiments trying to find how to get this thing to work and what have you. He said, uh, we just feel like we ought to quit. He said, no. He said, what you've done is told me that there's 2,000 and something that won't. That means there's still one that will. Consistency to keep on looking, to stay after it. That's one of the things. How many know in this day and age, sticking power is very important? And that's one of the things the leader will bring, to stay in there and keep on keeping on. Well, kind of like Abraham, you know what I mean? Have you ever read there in Romans 4, it says, when all hope was gone? You know, who, the King James puts it this way, who against hope believed in hope? One translation put it like this, it says, when all hope was gone, he kept on hoping. I mean, no, that's, that's tying a knot at the end of the rope and hanging on. See? And that's what a leader is supposed to be bringing. A second definition that will help you, number two, they marshal the skills possessed by a majority of people, but only used by a minority of people. They marshal the skills possessed by the majority of people, but used only by a minority. It's part of the job of a leader. My job is to find the people with the gifts, the graces, the skill, gather it together, and then utilize it. Now, I know a lot of Christians, you know, they get into this thing. Uh, oh, man, I, said, I, I don't want to be used of other people. I don't want to be used. I don't know. Christians stand around church and sing, use me, Lord. Please don't refuse me. I want to be used of you. Then when a man of God uses them, Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> boy, oh boy. What you're saying is you don't want to be misused. Nobody wants to be misused, but everybody ought to be used. Okay? No one wants to be misused, but everybody ought to be used. Having a proper attitude, and that will make a big difference for you. Now, what's important here, they rely on and trust other people to help them fulfill the vision. I'm counting on people. I remember when God called me to pastor. Now, I can trace how God dealt with me through the years. I remember when he called me to the ministry of helps, when he called me to teach, when he called me to pastor, when he called me to do what I'm doing now. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what you're asking me to do is so big. I said, it's going to take more people more knowledge, more money than what I possess. And he gave me an answer over there in Chronicles that helped me. When he was talking about building the temple, he said, and this is a paraphrase of it, it says he gave them able workmen, cunning in all their crafts. Amen. See, to me, every employee I got, doesn't matter whether it's ministry or business, they're a gift of God to me. They're the answer to my prayer that I cried out to God. God, I need the people. Hey? And I intend to use them. Okay. Now, I don't intend to abuse them or misuse them, but I do intend to use them. And God's a good steward, so I'm going to be a good steward. I'm going to get the most out of them. Okay. Now, to me, that's right. Also under this, 
They instill vision, meaning, and trust in their followers, which enables the followers to give their all and more to accomplish the vision. One of the things that I'm thankful for is God has always given me wonderful people in my life. In my mind, they're, they're, they're my success. They've what's caused me to be where I'm at. It wasn't my smarts. It wasn't my great abilities. You know what I mean? God knows it wasn't my charm. You know, whatever. It was the people that God gave into my life. People are the greatest asset you'll ever have in your life. If you'll stop and think about it, it's true spiritually and it's true mentally. You know, you think about from a standpoint of, uh, of people. You know, I, I venture to say most businessmen and all preachers, if you ask them what's the thing you need the most, they'd say money. And that's erroneous thinking. Amen. See, really what they need is people and ideas. Now, why, why people? Well, just take it from the natural standpoint. People have time and money. See? So you really don't have it. If you've got people, you've got it. So, well, i got people. Well, then the only other thing you could be missing is ideas. Am I helping anybody? Amen. See, it, it all has to do with perspective. If you're going to be a leader, understand people are the most marvelous thing that's ever been. You know? Where's your biggest problem going to come from? People? Well, what can you do? Make it work for you? Turn it around? All right. Number three. They influence, guide, and set the course, action, and opinion. They influence, guide, and set the course, action, and opinion. So you could use that as a definition. They influence, guide, set the course, action, and opinion. Now, let me say something to you. Some of you need to know and distinguish very clearly the difference between motivation and manipulation. See, being a leader does not mean that you manipulate people. You motivate people. You don't manipulate them. Now, I know some people come along and say, uh, well, it's fine to manipulate people for their good. Well, you're not manipulating. You're motivating them. See, manipulation is when you're moving people toward a course of action when it benefits you. Motivation is when you're moving people toward a code of action that benefits them. Are you here? Yeah. Now you see where that selfishness comes in? See, selfishness then causes you to, to manipulate. Because you're going to move them to action to benefit you. Okay? Say, well, it's your company. You know, it's your ministry. Aren't you manipulating them? No, because we're doing it for God. Say, I'm not doing it for me. If we was going to do it for me, we'd go to the house and sit down. You know, there's enough headaches in life already without looking for any more. But once you understand, hey, we've got to move people toward an action that brings blessing to their life. That's why people ought to be enjoying their jobs. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun to go to work. It'll be exciting. It'll be some satisfaction. Sure, there's going to be some hard times. You know? I mean, there's not a time, you know what I mean, that you don't have to work on yourself. You know, that's part of the attitude part, getting that right, okay? Number four, they direct new trends. 
Now, why? Because they create new ideas, new policies, new methodologies. Now, understand this. Principles can remain the same, but methods can change. Principles will remain the same, but methods must change. Uh, let me... Uh, let me use a ministry type thing here to illustrate what I'm talking about. How many know if you were to sit down and teach two people, you could do it with one method? If you're going to, if you're going to teach 20 people, how many know you have to change your method? If you got 200, how many know you got to change your method for that? 2,000, how many know your methods going to have to change? 20,000, 200,000, are you following me now? Principle remains the same. What's that? Having the voice amplified. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, but it'll change. It'll alter accordingly. Hey, I, I remember one time in South Africa preaching for five days, five times a day, out in an open field without a PA system. I paid the price. No PA system. And you preached to that many, that long, in an open field? I mean, it wasn't a building where you had everybody up a layer to where it would carry. You know what I mean? Man, it's just sailing out there. Man, I had so many things wrong with my throat and my chest when I got home after that. See? Wrong methodology. Did the right thing. Wrong methodology. And that's what happens in a lot of companies. They keep on with the same old methodology and don't look for the new. What that means is they don't have a leader that's willing to look for doing it different. I know I, I shake a lot of our people up sometimes because I'm always looking for a different way of doing it. You know, they just got comfortable with what we were doing. I mean, at one point here, to make everything flow with the dealing with as many things, you know, I think we have, what, seven floors in this building now? And, uh, I mean, it, it, got, it, it became a standard joke there for a while, you know what I mean? Uh, go to the office today, find out what floor you're on. <laughs> Why? I've got things developing, changing, altering, and if they don't stay flexible, we can't do what we got to do. You know, I, I mean, we've been here, we haven't even been in the building a year yet, and I don't know how many times we've, we've changed the distribution center around. Well, we keep on growing, I got news for you, we'll change it again. Are you following what I'm saying? See, it's, it, people who are hung, though, can't think like that. And so, therefore, their leadership becomes weakened because they're not willing to make those kind of adjustments. Number five, leaders bring about change. And they equate it with growth. In other words, their reason for doing it is to produce growth. They don't change for change's sake. They're after something. Okay. Number six, leaders create a human community held together by the work bond for a common purpose. Let's take publishing companies that we have. We may have divided up in reaching the world and markets. We have it divided up into companies. But the common goal and the common purpose is that it's all one family. Okay? To accomplish getting the word of God out to the world. What happens is, is each company deals with a different facet of the world. 
Harrison House deals with word of faith. Honor deals with your uh, fundamentalist and your general interest. Pillar deals with your charismatic. Christian Publishing Services deals with the area of doing a book for someone who just has a message they want to get out. You're not prepared to do it, the other three. Then you got Trade Life that goes to work to getting it all over the world, period, which is a distribution company. So you make the adjustments according to what you're trying to accomplish. How many of you know people have mental blocks out there? And how many of you know if you don't get past their mental blocks, you won't get anywhere? I don't know if you know it, but you've got to be sharp today to get done what you need to get done. And uh, it requires that you're going for the growth, that you're ready to bring it about, but you've brought together a group of people where it becomes community. We call it family. And the reason we do that is simply because there are certain institutions that God has blessed, and one of them is family. You see it on both levels. You see it on the natural level that he's blessed it, and you see it on the spiritual level. So if family is that important to God, then it must be important to us who are in the kingdom of God. So there are families within families. I mean, you stop and think about it. My wife and I are part of the Kenneth Hagin family. We have children. They're part of our family. Okay? We have grandchildren. They're part of our children's family. But we're all in the same family. Okay? Well, as far as we're concerned and running the purposes of what we have, it's all family. FCF is a family. We got churches in the whole organization, you know, around the world. Got ministers. It's family. We feel like that we've got a scriptural basis for approaching it that way. The business world just say a working community, you know, that locks them in to that element. But we found that biblically, that's what God's interested in and honoring is families. Okay? I, do you remember David and Jonathan entered into a covenant? The two of them, but then later on, Jonathan went back and he made covenant with the household. See, it can go beyond. See, beyond brothers to where you make a covenant with a household. So what do we have? I have men that I'm in covenant with. But I also have men that are in covenant with the household. Glory be to God. All right. 25 qualities or characteristics of a leader. This was taken from letters of William James. He thoughts this. I have often thought the best way to define a man's character would be to seek out the particular mental or moral attitude in which... When it came upon him, he felt himself most deeply and intensely active and alive. At such moments, there is a voice inside which speaks and says, This is the real me. It's interesting, isn't it? This is the real me. In these characteristics, some of this... Uh, material I've, I've taken from several different sources. One is Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Other from Warren Bennis, a couple of his books. But what you've got is you've got characteristics overall that begin to point out and begin to help you recognize. How many of you know in your, in your company or in your church, you've got people that need to be leaders? 
but you need to recognize them and train them and develop them and bring them up in it. Now, I'm, I'm a blessed man because God put wonderful people in my life, but I've tried to put into our key people, okay, and make leaders out of them when some of them didn't feel like they were leaders, okay? And, 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 and it, it, it was me purposely looking for the characteristics that I would spot certain things in them. See, a lot of times you can have something not even know you got it, okay? And a lot of times there are things dormant in people that if you really want to help people, empower them to become what they ought to be. I mean, when that's your whole purpose and intent. I, I, I had a preacher get mad at me one time. He said, you think you could just influence anybody, anywhere, anytime, don't you? I said, no doubt about it. <laughs> he said, that's egotistical. I said, no, it's not. I said, the thing is, you're going to influence them one way or the other, either for good or bad. I just chose to do it for good. How many know you're going to influence them? No matter who you meet, you're going to influence them. They're going to have an opinion of you. Now, you want it right or wrong? Your choice. You are going to influence. Okay? Now, which way do you want it to go? Purposely in my heart, I don't intend to leave anybody like I found them. You leave this place, I'm going to make some kind of deposit in you. I don't know how the Spirit of God will do it or what He'll use and when He'll use it, but it don't make any difference. I ain't going to leave you like I found you. You'll be a better person when I get through. Now, people can mark that down as ego, cocky, call it what you want to. I just know that when you encounter people, you're going to influence them one way or the other. And if you set yourself to empower people, to help them, to enrich their lives, You'll have what you want out of life. You'll come up with what you need. In my heart, there's no question about it. I intend to put everything I can into anybody that'll receive it. Some want it and some don't. And I can't worry about those that don't. So it's just a matter of choice. Now, quality number one, and I think this is so important, Actually, of the 25, I think the first 10 are, you know, your first main keys. The others are important, but the first 10 are vital. Number one, they have a clear sense of purpose, or they possess a vision. What's a vision? A vision or purpose is the commodity that leaders sell to their followers. Why is a vision so important? The leader's vision draws followers. If you don't have a vision, if you don't know where you're going, how many of you know it, it makes it rough when the blind's leading the blind? If you don't have a vision, how can you pass it on? Vision animates, inspires, transforms purpose into action. Vision is the know why behind the action an organization takes. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. One of the great organizations that I encountered years ago was the Full Gospel Businessmen's Organization. And, uh, of course, I've been a lifetime member for a number of years. And, and uh, you know, they've gone through struggles and difficulties and had other groups arise and all this. All that's not, you know, I'm, I'm not bothered or frustrated about any of that. But I know 
one of the main things that they would do is they would use testimony to help inspire other people and, and get people's eyes open to you know what could happen in their lives and so on like that. But I also know why it went through some of the tragedy it went through. It's because they violated one basic principle. And why they couldn't go on leading in the way that they wanted to is because they stayed with testimony. See, testimonies inspire, but they don't always inform. And so therefore, when they wouldn't, when they wouldn't take on teaching, they'd inspired all these people to get into this position, but they didn't have anything to take them on into what they ought to be. They couldn't make disciples out of them. See? And if you go back and look in the book of Matthew, when it talks about the madman of Gadara, when Jesus got him delivered, he made a statement tell him, to him. He said, go home and tell how great things God hath done for thee. Didn't say tell him what. Go tell them how great things hath done for thee. See, if you tell them what, then they can get all inspired and say, oh, glory to God, isn't that wonderful? But he couldn't do that for me. But if you tell them how, all of a sudden, personal application comes. Am I making sense? See, a leader can't just tell them what. He's got to tell them how. Preacher gets up and says, we're going to take the city. Oh, yeah. First question in their mind, how? Okay. It's not enough for what. There must be how. How is this to be done? If you can't tell them how, you're in trouble. That's where some leaders, you know, have fallen by the wayside. They couldn't tell them how they were going to do it. They had no plan. They had no vision. They had no direction. So vision is the no why behind the action of the organization it takes. Not just what, how. I'm thoroughly convinced the reason that I have what I have today is because of the vision that God said to me. Now understand, vision can carry different meanings, okay? When I use the word vision, let me define what I mean by vision for you. There are a number of things that it can mean, okay? Uh, vision could be speaking of physical vision, you know, it could be a night vision, it could be an open vision of some angelic being, you know what I mean? So it could carry lots of different. When I define the word vision, I mean insight into the plan and will of God for your life. How many believe God's got a plan for your life? So when I use the word vision, I mean insight into the plan and will of God for your life. See, God gave me a vision what I was supposed to do. He said I was going to have people. So what happens is they get vision. It's part of their vision now because it's insight into the plan and will of God for their life, how to help me get it done. Does that make sense now? In other words, they take on ownership of it. It's not just, you know, one of the things that I got upset with years ago when I pastored, people would come along and say, oh, well, that's Buddy Harrison's church. I wish to God I'd have changed that. Because you know what? When it comes time to pay for the building, Buddy got to pay for it. Are you here? See, it wasn't Buddy Harrison's church. It was the Lord Jesus Christ's church, and it was our part in Jesus' ministry. But when people don't take ownership of it, you have to reckon with that later on. Okay. Well, 
insight into the plan and will of God for your life. Well, when God gave me the vision for everything that I'm doing, for Harrison House, I mean, he laid it out for me. Do you know how I had to fight to even get the name Harrison House? Twofold. One, there was a company over in Oklahoma City called Harrison Homes, and it was so close to it they wouldn't incorporate me because of that. I had to go get him to sign a release so I could incorporate in this state. Then on top of that, there was a publishing company in Harrison, Arkansas, called Harrison House. They weren't having any success, weren't getting anywhere. They decided to change the name. It's now called New Leaf Press. And they changed the name and their company took off. Why? Because God had given it to me. They couldn't make it work all those years. Because God had said, I reserve that for you. I've given you a good name and I want to use it. Isn't it amazing we can use Jesus' name and he wants to use ours? See? And I had to fight to get it, had to fight to keep it. But he told me, he said, you call it Harrison House? Laid the whole thing out for me? You know, I didn't have any money. I had to go borrow $1,500 to start it. But 20 years later, bless God, look what the Lord has done. <laughs> See? But it had to come with vision. See? It had to come to hold into the vision. Same thing's true with FCF. All the other things that we're doing, it came as a result of what God had spoken to our hearts. Say, why? Because words paint pictures. Words paint pictures. I, I, somebody said here the other day, so I'll oh, just name it, I'm talking about a company that we were dealing with at the time, said, I'll oh, just name it any name you want to. Keith told him, said, you'll never sell that to Buddy. Names mean too much to him. Why is it called Faith Christian Fellowship? Well, we begin in faith and we're Christians and we fellowship together. What's well, international church? That's right, we are international. See, the name's got to speak something. Am I helping you? These are important. There has to be a clear sense of purpose. Whatever you go to do, you've got to know what your purpose is. I don't know about you, but I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. Amen. What was the purpose of starting Harrison House? There were a lot of good men that were teaching the same thing that Kenneth Hagin were teaching, but there was no vehicle and no, no way of them getting their message out. They were hung right there. What few I could help as individuals, we had done, but if we were going to help all the others that hadn't yet to even arise to the occasion, we had no tool to get it done. And that's why Harrison House was born out of the will of God. Had a clear sense of purpose. What was it? To develop a market for word of faith. There was no market. We had to create it. Had to create it. And I can tell you, when God spoke to me about the church, I was in Saginaw, Michigan, doing a meeting, traveling. I'd left Brother Hagin, been gone from him almost two years, was out traveling around, having a good time, had a good, wonderful, basic philosophy. You know, love the sheep, but don't mess with them. <laughs> Teach them, hug them, kiss them, and head on down the road. I don't want to change diapers, didn't want to burp them, didn't want to mess with them. And I'll never forget when God spoke to me. He said, I want you to go back to Tulsa, start a family church, charismatic teaching center, and reach the world. Well, are we doing that? Yeah, we're in 34 nations. 
Oh, are we through yet? Oh no, vision's not complete. But see, if you don't have a clear sense of purpose of where you're going and what you're doing, uh, I mean, you know, people got to know where they're going. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He knew where he was going. I know where I'm going. Now, to some people, that's egotism. That's cockiness. Smart aleck. I'm not any one of those things. See, when you're very sure of what God's dealt with you in, you can take on certain appearances. And you've got to be willing to live with that. And let everybody think what they want to think about you. They're going to anyway. So you might as well just go on. I can't help it if they get all bent out of shape at how I say things, how I present myself. You know, I'm not living my life hit and miss. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I know how I'm going to get there. And I will make it. I see, for many people, they hear those kind of statements. That's hard on their flesh because they're wondering. I'm not wandering aimlessly. So, how many of you think that that's a part of why in the presidency we've had problems? Well, I think we'll do this today. No, let's do this. How about that? How about that? <laughs> and wonder why nobody wants to follow? They have to have a clear sense of purpose. If you ain't got a clear sense of purpose, don't expect them to follow you. You don't take it with that wishy-washy stuff. It won't cut it. You won't get there. Number one was what? I just wondered if you heard it all right. Okay. Say it together. Clear sense of purpose. All right. Walt Disney said, if you can dream it, you can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it. Would you say that he did some dreaming? You'll find on the wall in Keith's office, and there's one that I have also. Our artist did a little drawing for us of the McDonald's arches. And, you know, some of the Disney stuff. And uh, they were in the trenches in World War I together. While they were there, they'd talk about what they'd do in business if they got the chance. They'd listed all these things they'd do. And they finally reduced it down to three simple things of what they would do. And uh, that became their philosophy on how to operate a company. How many of you know both of them did well? So those principles must be good, shouldn't they? They had a purpose. See, a clear sense of purpose. Quality number two. They're passionate about what they believe. Passionate about what they believe. I mean, you know, if you don't really believe it, you can't sell anyone else to believe it. There needs to be a passion in it. If you're not excited about it, don't expect them to get excited about it. You know, I, I know some some companies, they'll bring people in to kind of pump everybody up, you know, motivate them. 
I think the thing that I like the most is our leadership in our companies and in our ministries. They're so motivated already. We don't have to have anyone come in from the outside to pump our bunch up. In fact, we have to be careful they don't go through the roof anyway. <laughs> now, it's fine when you don't have anything to bring it in from the outside. I understand that, okay? But God's ultimate. I mean, no, God can take care of getting himself excited. He's not moved by circumstances. He's not moved by situations. And when he's passionate about something, how many know he is passionate? Well, he expects us to be the same way. And we ought to have that passion for it. That's what's missing. That's why the workplace today is in difficulty is because there's no passion for jobs. It's not been made clear to the workers what they're doing, what they're accomplishing, how important their role is, to where they have a passion in what they're doing. I'm honored to say that our company have excited people, excited about what we're doing, what we're accomplishing, what's taking place, our part in Jesus' ministry, how we can fit into our place and function the way that he wants us to. But it takes passion. See, the passive nature won't get things done. It's that case of Ross or Raw, whatever it will be, will be. How I many know you can get run over? <laughs> Die a quick death that way. Why? Because the devil will obligate you. I mean, he will just be, you know, he will make sure that you get run over. He will oblige you. You have been listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast, where our focus is to help you achieve your destiny as a leader. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, visit our website at fcf.org.